Defining Boundaries is proudly supported by E1 Pool Certifiers. They are your go-to for professional pool certification within the Sutherland Shire and Sydney metro area. The team at E1 Pool Certifier are inspectors and assessors who hold safety as their priority when it comes to pool and spa structures. They provide a friendly and helpful service to guide you through the process and advise on issues and remediation as well as certification certificates for council by providing detailed reports using photos and diagrams referencing to Australian standards and New South Wales pool safety regulations. So if you need your pool or spa certified, you can contact them from their website e1poolcertifier.com. The link is in my show notes. Hi, I'm Peter and you're listening to Defining Boundaries. Welcome back to Season 2. I hope that you enjoyed the past year of conversations from amazing people from around the world within our geospatial community. This year, I look forward to many more conversations and I hope that you join me on my journey, surveying the world one story at a time. Head over to my Patreon site if you'd like to support the show. You can make a donation towards the purchase and upgrading of equipment, website subscription and file hosting. If you'd like to join me to have a chat or you have someone in particular from the industry that you'd like to hear about, send me a message. You'll find the link in the show notes or in my bio on all social media and my website, petercox.com. So if you're ready, let's go. Grab a drink, sit back, relax and enjoy our chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. Defining Boundaries is proudly supported by Ausdetect. Ausdetect is an underground utility locating and survey company based in Gregory Hills, New South Wales. They are a proud family-owned and operated company with over 20 years combined experience. Ausdetect are specialists in all things underground utilities and much, much more by providing a trustworthy service and working to the highest safety standards possible, ensuring their clients have peace of mind for the entire duration of their project, whether the project is large or small. At Ausdetect, Pat and his team get the job done right the first time. For your locating needs, check them out at ausdetect.com.au or find the link in my show notes. My guest today is Brett Casson, born in Tamworth but growing up in Jervis Bay. Um, how did I not know that one before today? Brett holds an associate diploma in surveying, has been in the industry for 29 years. He is the senior principal major projects in global business development for Autodesk. He began his career in Canberra with RJ Kell & Co. He's no longer in surveying, but he does believe that his career in surveying is, has helped his job today. Besides working for one of the biggest tech companies, Brett enjoys playing golf, mountain biking and photography. Hi, Brett, and thank you for joining me. Hi, and um, thanks for having me. And uh, I, I do all of those three things really badly. Um, I'm, I'm a terrible photographer, but I try. <laughs> I'm not great at golf. I used to be good, but um, you know, work gets in the way of that now. And then the mountain biking is just more of a got to keep the body moving type scenario. So I'm not very good at either of those, but I love well, doing all three. It doesn't matter if you're not good at it, as long as you enjoy doing it. That's the main thing. As long thing. as you get out and get the yes. fresh air. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what it's all about. Switching yeah. off. Jervis Bay. Yeah. What? Yeah. No, actually, no, let's not, let's not start there. Tamworth, okay. you were born in Tamworth. Yeah, yep. How long did you stay in Tamworth for? Uh, till I was about nine or ten. 
Okay. And uh, my my mother wanted to be closer to her family um, right. down in that in the Shoalhaven region. So mm-hmm. we we upsticked and moved, and um, yeah, we 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 moved to Huskisson. Um, no way. Yeah, we moved to Husky and um, had a beautiful sort of youth and growing up. It was a very quiet town to what it kind of is today. I'm sure. It's, I know um, it's very very different today. It is extremely different. Um, yeah. So, what year are we kind of looking at that you went to Husky? Uh, that's a good question. I think it was around sort of the '88 uh 89 90 yeah around there around that sort of period most of my okay. high school was i was living in in huskerson so what high school did you go to shoalhaven high the great shoalhaven high <gasps> my brother was the first year to go through my cousin was the second year and i was the third oh, year to go through stop it. Stop no it's it true right true aiming yep. higher yep. is the motto aiming of higher. the great shoalhaven high. i know yeah. Great school, really good school. Catching really good the school. bus in every morning. We we have our thirty year reunion. I think it's either this year. So there's a whole big planning thing that's happening on Facebook, and it's yeah, it's a it's a bit of a sobering so um, what, reality actually. Thirty years. So. so what year did you finish there then? Uh, what was your last year of high school? Ninety two. Ninety two. Must have. <gasps> been. No. We were yeah. we were at the same high school at like I was ninety. What? I I finished year twelve in ninety. Oh, no, this is I this was playing doors moment, isn't it? Uh, it is, it is. That's why I'm like, oh my god, I was the age swimming champion at Shoalhaven High every year from year seven through to year twelve, except for year ten because I went to boarding school for two years. Wow. What I mean, yeah. My I, artwork was sitting up on the walls in the stairs near the mass thing. We were pretty big on the old artwork. Yeah, I had um, I had a great year advisor, and I'm trying to remember the sport. I I love sports at that school, and mm-hmm. we were able to do golf, um, for sport, which was awesome because my dad was teaching me golf, and then they offered golf as a sport, and that's nice. where I took up the love of that game, and I, I almost became well i would have been bad but i really wanted to go and be a golf professional because i was playing so much junior golf and i was playing sub junior pennants and i thought that yes. that was going to be my career and i was i was really sort of laser focused on i'm just going to ditch school mm-hmm. do what everyone like go and be a golf professional work in a pro shop and then my mother my late mother basically said no you're not (laughs) you're not doing that you're going to finish high school and then you can do whatever you like as long as you do your hsc yeah okay um what i didn't realize at the time was that after doing the hsc that kind of slot to become a very good sort of a a junior golfer that would sort of go on and do better things was gone You, you know you needed to be quite young and even today, I think it's even younger. They're picking players up a lot younger. So, yeah, yeah I, I yeah, I was at Husky. Used to catch the bus to school, and yeah, just we, yeah, that is so weird. How I cannot we're believe we're probably even on the same bus at times because sometimes we caught one bus that went JB Road. Yep. And the other yep. time we caught the bus that went through Husky because all of my yep. my cousin and all my friends 
like all of that that group sort of thing lived up Woolamaya way and and yeah we we did the Woolamaya run yeah. and then <laughs> that is wow. so wow I didn't think anyone even knew where Woolamaya was that is so weird I I I'm a bit sort of taken aback I can't wrap my head around it actually but there you go that's so bizarre. it's a small world Peter. It is. It is really small. I'm just, we're going to have to talk later about who you actually hung out with and see if I'm I actually sure know are. anybody. I'm not sure that we're going to do that. Oh, we can. Of yes, course we, we can. Later, we will. We will. Yeah, yeah, and cool. if, and hey, if you don't want to, don't worry, I'll go snooping and I'll find out myself. <laughs> I, I, That's so fine. We can talk. I lived at Vincentia. Yep. Since I was three years old. Yep. Two and a half, three wow. years old. Wow. And left there to go to uni in 93 no 91 my my parents ran the huskerson beach motel for many years which was across from the park yeah 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 and we moved across the road from the cinemas and and i'd left home by then and yeah yeah. okay yeah just yeah my 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 mother has passed away and my father Mm -hmm. has moved away and um yeah so i don't ever get back down to husky but i hear that it's it's quite the tourist spot. Very commercialised now. The mm. surf shop. I worked in yeah. the surf shop and yeah. I worked in the pub at the Vistro. Of course. The two yeah. the two main draw cards yeah. of Husky. That and yeah. the dive shop if you're into paddy diving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm. my mum and dad knew the people at the dive shop because they dived all the time. <laughs> don't forget the bakery around the corner. I don't know How if that's still good. there. It's still there. Um yeah. I don't know if it's in the same hands now. It's a lot bigger now, oh, okay. but the bakery is still there. That was the best going there on a Sunday. And they used to make this apple and cinnamon tea cake. Oh, they, yeah. They were the yep. best. So I actually lived next door to them um, for a little while when I moved back down. Okay. Lived next door to the bakery and, oh, it was the best. Anyway. This is, yeah, this is kind of <laughs> it's doing my head in a little bit. I, I can't. Yeah, only you would know this stuff. So I know I you're know. not feeding me a line. This no, is, I'm not. No, this is I'm crazy. Yeah, crazy, crazy, yep. crazy. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> oh gosh, that's just got me stumped now. All right, you mm. you did year twelve. You finished year twelve in yep. what ninety two ish or something. Two. It yeah. must have been two because I think we were supposed to have a thirty year reunion, but COVID hit. There you go. Yeah, and that, so yeah, I'd say that's that's why I kind of went. Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> if you're having a thirty, and we were supposed to have a thirty, that's pretty, pretty close. Well, it's it's wow. actively in planning, and I I am going to go ahead and assume that it's either going to be at the RSL or the pub. We'll, we'll take our pick of the two. Mm, I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I haven't caught up with many of my old classmates in thirty years. I haven't seen them in thirty years. So, no, yeah. me neither. Cool. Me neither. Only. There's only a handful that I still see and speak to now. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. Let's go back to. Let's forget about Jamie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that I've really t- put you on a spin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, if we can forget it, but yeah, mm-hmm. let's move on. Yeah, no, I won't forget it. It's going to keep popping up in my head. Um. Okay, so you finished your twelve. Yep. Where did you go from there? Oh. It was kind of funny. I, I wasn't really that academic at school and I, you know, I, I probably just didn't apply myself, you know, no. much to the regret <laughs> of my parents. Yeah, I, I just, I was one of those guys that just school was like, 
it was okay and it was there, but I never really excelled at school. And mm. um, I, I applied for TAFE in Canberra and my mother helped me apply and she said, listen, um, we're going to apply for two things. We're going to apply for computer science, for computer science, which mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was in love with computers. Yeah, okay? okay. And she said, we're also going to enroll, enroll you, help you enroll in this thing called surveying. And I was like, well, I don't know what that is, but my mother said, well, it's, it's, you know, you get to work outdoors. I, you know, I'm reading all these you know, requirements. I'm like, well, that's for me. I love being outdoors, you know? Yeah. And so I got into both and I had, again, I think my whole career are these sliding doors moments. It sounds like it. I just chose for some unbeknownst reason, I just love computers so much and I was into like coding Apple IIEs at Shoalhaven High and oh into basic and all that. But I just, for some reason, there was something in me that said, just go and do surveying because it just sounds different. And and so packed my bags at 17 and my parents dropped me off at a place called Ascot House, which was the University of Canberra had a campus yep. and they had an arrangement with Canberra Institute of Technology, which was mm-hmm. the TAFE down there. And I, I was then on my own for the first time ever at 17. I didn't, I didn't even know what I was doing. Isn't and it then, crazy? Yeah. That, and then mm-hmm. the rest is like, I mean, we're going to get to the rest, but the rest is kind of history. That's where it mm. all all began. But but this idea um, that surveying has given me so much and then all of a sudden, like in the background, this computer stuff was always there. Mm-hmm. It was always in the background and now it's front and centre of, of yeah. everything that I do. And, yeah, um, yeah did, did, did the Canberra thing. And um, I, I guess my career... And I wanted to put this into context is is really about some of the great mentors that I've mm-hmm. had. And not so much. I mean, for me, mentors aren't so much about mentoring you professionally. It's really mentoring you personally. Oh, yeah. as and I've had some great ones. and mm-hmm. I've been so lucky. Um, and my first mentor was the guy that gave me my first job in Canberra, a guy called Peter Pappas, surveyors, who I believe is still practicing. and and there was a notice board at TAFE and there was a little thing that said, you know, survey field hands wanted. Yeah. So I rang him and he said, yeah, come down. You can start Monday. And then. Perfect. Taught me. That was my first start. And um, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I, I knew, I really knew nothing. I was so green, as we say, <laughs> or we used to say, I used to say in surveying, I knew nothing. I, you know, I could barely read a tape measure, but he taught me absolutely everything. And yeah. we did a lot of the original work in the new northern suburbs of Canberra, oh, like okay. Gungahlin. Yep. So yep. all that new subdivision that was all emerging, we did a lot of work <laughs> there. And yeah, amazing. Amazing yeah, right. guy gave me everything, gave me the start. Yep. So how long were you working with him for? Well, I, I continued to work on and off with him for a long right, time. Okay. I mean, he had an arrangement with another survey practice in Queanbeyan called Peter Wilden Surveyors, who worked very closely with RJ Kellenko. So it was kind of, there was this sort of, I don't know the commercial arrangement, but mm. they were all kind of intertwined. And I guess that's the next mentor yeah. that taught me. I, there, this was the big moment where we, that practice did a lot of country work. Yeah, yeah, and a guy called Peter Williams, who still practices today in, around Queanbeyan, um, I believe, mm-hmm. he taught me everything about country surveying. He taught me about lock spits and rock spits and shields oh, and wow. the telltale signs of where a reference mark might be and how to plumb up a fence post and all of that stuff, which I'm assuming still gets taught. I, I, 
I don't know. But he was more of a, a personal mentor as well. You know, mm. he, he taught me the value of hard work. And back in the 90s, bashing 3B3s in um, mm-hmm. all over a new subdivision in the middle of summer in, in ground as hard as granite yeah. teaches you the value of hard work. You know, you're working hard those days. They're long days. Mm. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah, he was an incredible, still is, I believe, an incredible guy, an incredible mentor. Yeah. So how long... How long were you in the surveying industry for? And did you just stay around Canberra or did you no, move away? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I ask all the good questions. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> so um, we, it was kind of mid-90s, getting towards late mm-hmm. 90s, and I don't know whether there was some sort of economic downturn, but work wasn't as consistent as what it was. Yeah. And I thought, I've got two decisions to make here. I can either just stick this out or I can really make a go of this. But to make a go of it, I've got to move to the big smoke. Mm-hmm. And that was, I've got to get to Sydney. Um, and I had a lot of mates that lived in Sydney. So we, I moved to Dremoyne and we flatted in a house together. And I, I managed to, you know, the next mentor, I managed to find a job in right in the centre of Sydney in Castlereagh Street at a practice mm-hmm. called... Um, Higgins, Higgins Norton Partners mm-hmm. and yep. that was run by a guy called John Higgins who I think is still around but one of the the, the other practice members was a guy called Chris Norton mm-hmm. who was you know that next mentor in my whole journey who really taught me city practice and what that was like and another guy there Jeff Cook who has since passed away um, taught me high-rise construction wow. and grids and um, the jump and post-stress and pre-stress grids and um, how to resect in on a construction site, just all of that foundation stuff that I think gets taken for granted. He taught me everything. And he was one of those individuals that just opened up his whole mind and gave me access to everything. Um, And that taught me, which again, for for my role now, that taught me high-rise construction, Mm. plumbing up lifts down in B3, 40 floors up, you know. I worked on some big sites in Sydney and I've just been blessed. I mean, I yeah, amazing. Just am- amazing, amazing individuals that just yeah. took me under their wing and showed me everything that they, they knew. Yeah. Well, uh, an- another, what do you call it, sliding door moment is that we work for the same company too. <laughs> we, we did, but... I forgot the biggest sliding door moment. If we can go back again, oh, is that okay? okay? Yeah, let's. <laughs> so, biggest sliding door moment was at Canberra Institute of Technology, and it was like I don't know, year two, semester one, mm-hmm. and I'd spent a year using the rotaring pens and the sixty thirty set square and the beveled nice. edge and marking stuff up on film, and you know, just scratching uh-huh. stuff out. And they said, okay, now we're going to do the computer stuff. And you have two choices. Oh, yes. You can use <laughs> a piece of software, which I won't mention, which is very popular, or you can use this other piece of software. You can learn this thing called AutoCAD. Oh, and again, I'll mention I, the other one. You can mention the other one. It, it's a very, it's great. <laughs> I mean, it's MicroStation and it's, it's brilliant. MicroStation is very, very good. But I just, <laughs> for whatever reason, I don't even know why. Mm. I never even heard of it either. I just said, well, I'm going to do AutoCAD. I'm going to do Autodesk AutoCAD. Yep. And I thought it was magical, the fact that 
I'd spent all this time doing oblique and isometric drawings and whatever. And if I made a mistake in AutoCAD, I could just hit the U button and start again. It was like, yeah. it was magical. Isn't it, it honestly, funny? It's so weird because, and I'm sure I'm going to get corrected, but I, I learned in one of the very, very, very early versions of AutoCAD that didn't have any drop-down menus. It was all command line. And we had these oh digital. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, so and those commands still live today yes. in AutoCAD. Yeah. And I still use I, I had to draw something recently and I still use them. It's unbelievable. So that was a real sliding doors moment. Mm. And then fast forward to us working at the same surveying practice, which I guess <laughs> is mentor number four or five. One of the great mentors. Oh, he's my favorite. <laughs> he, he, again, we are he talking was, about Pierre Hartzenberg here, people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not only did he teach me about how to manage, like his way of managing a business and mm-hmm. how he ran the business, and he, he had great partners. He had Peter Cornish and he had Julian yep. Bosman, yep. Colhard. It mm-hmm. was a it was a very very large enterprise at the time. Mm-hmm. I think at the time, and again, someone's going to correct me, but I think we had fifty registered surveyors. I mean, we were the largest surveying practice in Australia. I mean, and th- that taught me big infrastructure like yeah. rail like what what the corridor was per way you know, all that mm. and i was like a sponge from pierre i just wanted to learn everything everything he knew mm. and yeah he, he again he's just so he opened up so much he's just such yeah he's brilliant yeah it's um i mean it's really good the the different areas that you've got to experience throughout your career working as a surveyor um, not a lot of people kind of get that bigger array of different types of work, really. Yeah, I, pin- I pinch myself mm. I, I, because, you know, we, we, we were talking today at work um, around this idea of imposter syndrome <laughs> where, you know, someone is going to give you a tap on the shoulder and say, hey, mate, you've got no place being here. Come on, what, what, what are you doing? And, and I'm waiting for that. <laughs> Very, very, yeah. Apparently, a lot of people have it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we were talking about it, and it's very, very common. I, I have it. I, I'm waiting for that person to tap me on the shoulder and say, "Okay, come on, Brett. What you? You're just a guy who didn't do great at school. You have no place being here. Mm. But you know, I, I've got to resolve it. It looks like I do have a place being here, and I'm pretty highly valued from what I understand. So, mm. but yeah. that ground and that experience, that country sitting experience. That surveying foundation that still lives with me today, and I still have my HP forty two S on my desk today. It it just never leaves you. It, it's always there. Do you know when we? Because I'm presuming that we would working on dates. I think we would have been close to to doing TAFE at the same time, mm-hmm. and I went through them because we had civil CAD. I don't think we had a choice of programs. Right. Um, I think, and and we were on, you know, Civil CAD four, whatever, whatever the first one was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we didn't get a choice. I don't think of a HP. We had this stupid sharp thing. Oh yeah. That the you LX. had to program in. I mean, I've still got it. Have I mm. ever used it? No. So it's. I like, as you say, you've got your HP forty two. I've got my fifty. Oh, it sits on my desk. It's always, always just there, open in front of me. 
and again, I'm I'm hoping that surveyors of our vintage are listening to this. They never made another calculator as good as the 42 or the 48. I mean, the buttons and eh, we. <clears throat> silly now but no no it's not because um, i put something up on on linkedin about what do you use to do your calculations and right. i know when i worked with um with jack that was for ten and a half years uh in a wow. private small private company um yep. it was a 42 or a 48 and oh sitting there he's driving to site and i'm sitting there doing all the calculations to find oh, all yeah. the joins and all that kind of stuff in the car on with the dps as we're going so i used that the whole time that i worked for the ten and a half years was was that that one but um they don't they make they don't make those ones now no we have no, a hp fact, prime if you yeah yeah that was php wasn't it mm. and i think if you look on ebay i think they're worth a pretty little penny yeah. right now yep. i think they're Yep. But it's funny that that post that I put on, nearly everybody mentioned one f- type of HP calculator to do their yeah. calculations with. Most of them were the older ones, the 35, the 42, the 48. Yep. There's a couple yep. of the newer ones that had the 50s. But that's it. That that was the main thing that was mentioned in what do you use to do calculations? And I'm like, okay, that's great. We've got new surveys coming through. How do they do theirs? What what did we use? Yeah, I think there, there was a there was a black market in the close program as well for the forty two S. We had to learn how to program in a forty two S. Yeah, yeah. But there was the cheat sheet that was kind of flying around how to do a close, and that well, was invaluable. And then there was the special close where you could do coordinate closes, and yes, you know, you could do bowditches on your forty two S. And you know, oh my god, what? Everyone <laughs> understands what a bowditch is, and <laughs> no, 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 they yeah. do, they do, or well, they should right. do. They, I would like to think so. <laughs> well, there was helmet and bowditch, and they were the two. One was angular, and one was yeah length. Yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. So I don't know what they're going to use now, but anyway. Oh, they'll just do it all in Jigger, won't they? Is it all? They'll probably use Autodesk somewhere, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have a few things up my sleeve. I'm still waiting on some answers from some companies. Oh, okay. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> we, we will get there. Will yes, get I know. I know. It's all good. Um, okay. So how long were you working for in surveying? Uh, so, well, I've been at Autodesk 10 years this year. Um, so like. I'm not 20, good at math. 20 years prior to that. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 92, like, yeah, the 93, I, I sort of started working as soon as I got to Canberra and then like into it. So mm. this will, I mean, we're, we're, we're hovering around the 30, well, we're, we're hovering around the 20 years and I've been 10 years at, at Autodesk. Mm. So, yeah. And then there was that big jump which was Autodesk. And it was it was really interesting because, you know, P- Pierre and, and, and Harden Forrester, who have since been acquired, yeah. and, and that business has been acquired by one of Autodesk's biggest customers. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we really, we took a leap of faith and went deep into the whole laser scanning thing. And I think that was kind of pre-anyone was doing, uh, I'm not going to say anything meaningful, but we wanted to sort of 
we thought it was a huge value add for the yeah. architecture, engineering, and construction industry. Yeah. We invested very heavily in the tech early on, but the the whole software industry, there was nothing there that you could do with it. So yeah. you had these beautiful, elegant 3D captures of the world, but there was nothing that, you know, it was very, very difficult to do stuff with. Right, okay. You know, fast forward to today, you know, it's mm. it's it's like a jigger. You know, everyone's got a jigger and a laser scan. It's one of those things, right? But back then it was very bespoke. It was expensive to get into. It required, mm-hmm. you know, resource and people who understood the software. And, and we did that. And I managed to go on secondment for some large projects at Transport for New South Wales for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And we we were working on some really interesting stuff. And I had a friend who contacted me and said, hey, and I'd known him for a long time, a guy called Tim Hardwick. And he he said, look, he he was at a large engineering consultancy practice and he'd gone to work for Autodesk. And he Mm -hmm. said, listen, I... I'm leaving my role. I'm going to another role and we've got like an open thing. And I know that you've done some crazy stuff with Autodesk software and scanning and and he invited me to come over and show Autodesk what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I prepared this whole thing. I didn't think anything of it, but essentially that was maybe the job interview. And oh. <laughs> the right. rest, I mean... It, it was a huge leap of faith to come to Autodesk because yeah. that, that just wasn't it wasn't my world. And I remember oh, I, the first week of joining Autodesk, I just sat at the end of my bed, put my head in my hands and said, what have I done? What have I, I've thrown all this away. I don't understand any of this. It's a different world. Autodesk was um, wanting that real industry intelligence there was a lot yep. of changes happening in the in the in the tech industry and and we're old tech autodesk has been around since 1982 so it's 40 years this year mm-hmm. it, which is autocad autocad is 40 years old yeah right um and yeah just it was real traditional technology sales and but they brought you know subject matter experts in and um i've had it's I do the most amazing job. Honestly, I, I again I pinch myself for what I do at Autodesk and what I've done at Autodesk over the last decade. It's quite again the imposter syndrome creeping in for what I do. So what so what position did you start as when you went to AutoCAD? Autodesk? It was really it was tech sales. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the first engagements I had. You know, I had a great manager. Mm-hmm. Another great mentor. He said, "We, you know, you understand this better than anyone. We, we need you to go in and have an adult conversation with the public sector around BIM. Mm. And I said, okay. And we, we, we went in and just had these conversations, non-sales conversations, but just conversations around BIM is a process. It's not a product and, um, you know, the world is going to be moving towards BIM if they haven't done so already. I mean, this is, so this is 2011, 2012. Yeah. You know, this, is, oh, yeah. this is early BIM. This is, mm. it's going to happen. And that kind of, I'll be honest with you, Peter, that was really hard. That fell a lot on deaf ears because mm-hmm. they saw it as a product and it was going to be too hard and too expensive and we don't have any, like, yeah. But mm. fast forward to today, 
it's business as usual, really. It's in every contract. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's so I started out tech sales. I did that. I did that for about 12 months. Again, I had a great manager who said, you know, it, I, I, that there's lots of places you can go at Autodesk. You shouldn't be mm. sort of thinking, you know, you need to stay here. I was, I loved it. I loved it. I love going out and meeting with customers. I met, that's where I met all of my connections I have now. I, I was able to go in and meet the really big enterprise customers and yeah. see what they were doing. And, and then I had this mentor at Autodesk who, he doesn't probably see himself as a mentor, but he was a guy that used to work for CivilCAD. He's a guy called Theo Angelopoulos who went to Autodesk. He spent 30 years in the US, but he's an Aussie. Okay. And he was running um, the team that I'm in. He was running a subset of the team that mm-hmm. I'm in. And he said to, he came to Australia and he said, listen, same thing. I'm going to go and take another role um, and I want you to come and do Mm-hmm. This role, because yep. we don't have, you know, we need infrastructure, ex- people that understand infrastructure and major projects and that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, I read the job, job description. It's not really, he said, no, don't read really, really the job description. You, you're going to come and do this role, right? This is this is what you're going to do. And mm-hmm. again, the, the rest is history. I've been in that role since and it's, I do the most incredible stuff. And I still work very closely with Theo, who's a vice president at Autodesk now. He's very, very successful. Oh, okay. And huge, like, yeah, like, yeah, right. Big, big show. Okay. So what are the types of things that you do in your job? Like what is yeah. what is a day in the life of Brett Casson as the, what are you, pro, major projects, global business development? Yeah, it's a fancy, fancy. I know. Fancy. Sounds like someone just made it up, doesn't it? Maybe they mm. did. So <laughs> it sounds like mine. <laughs> every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've come across I've come across a few big fancy titles, and you you kind of get to know the ones where you kind of see through it, and it's like, okay, all, oh. all good. Oh crap, is mine like that? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. Oh, but good. so e- every day is different, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, again, that's what people want. People want. I mean, some people want variety. Some people just want to turn up and do my job and go home and whatever. I yep. mean, a lot of the last two years has been at home. But mm. I spent the first, say, seven years on a plane, yeah. and I've seen the absolute world. I've, I've, mm. I've travelled to see the biggest, baddest customers in the world doing the most incredible, major infrastructure and building projects. Awesome! That'd be pretty. That'd be pretty it, special to see. It is the things that they do, the way they navigate technology, the way yeah. they navigate process and people their boldness that they get involved with some of these um, country defining projects Mm. is inspirational there's no other word for it and again i'm a kid from husky what i've got what am i doing there you know but i mean it's wonderful to see i get asked to do a lot of executive briefings and executive presentations Mm -hmm. to guess convey mm-hmm. the strategy i get asked for to sit with with customers i mean one, one of the things we do and i work again another crazy moment i i learned autodesk revit um in around 2010 i went and did this whole training thing and we use one of these books 
which is, I mean, people probably don't use books anymore. They just jump on YouTube. But there's a whole series of books that are legendary called Mastering Revit Architecture. And 12 of those books have been written by a guy called Eddie Kriegel. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've heard that name before. The most unbelievable thing is that Eddie and I are peers. We work directly together. He's in Boulder and I'm here in Sydney. Yeah, okay. And he is one of my best mates. I mean, it's just, it's so weird. It's, <laughs> um, but Eddie and I run a program called Win With, and we get involved with helping our major, major customers, the big, yeah. the biggest of the big, um, respond to tenders in the right way, positioning Autodesk in the right way. Oh. Okay. Yeah, we get very heavily involved in that, mm -hmm. which is super interesting. Um, Would be. And don't worry, no matter where you are around the world, you'll get a call on a Friday and the tender's due on a Monday. It doesn't matter what. Always. So, so, so it doesn't, Always. it's not just here, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's absolutely everywhere. I mean, we're, we're actually probably pretty good, to be honest here. Mm -hmm. um, so it does happen. The, the, the second thing that we do, which again, is just super interesting is that I'm a product manager for three products with Eddie and a guy called Chuck Mees. Mm -hmm. We manage a whole series of tools called the BIM interoperability tools, which we've had over one over 1. 1.5 million downloads of. Um, essentially, it's helping to, it's helping our customers to meet owner's requirements, data requirements. Mm -hmm. um, we've created a cloud-based application for that. We've just launched that in the last six weeks, which is quite unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, you know, cloud, cloud has to be the way to go with with this type of data and stuff, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's really, I mean, it's it's how I, I, I'm going to say major major clients. It's mm. how like the major, the big enterprises mm. operate because they work on a twenty four seven clock. Yeah. So when Sydney's awake, you know, London's asleep, and when Sydney yep. you know starts having their dinner, London wakes up, and when mm. you know the middle of the night, that's when the United States. So that they, they run this twenty, and you can't do that saving files to your desktop i mean it's no. it's not realistic and there's so much security with the cloud there's the power of the cloud there's analytics of the cloud it it has there's been an escalation in the cloud as well over the mm -hmm. last two years because mm -hmm. they've, you know, they've been forced to do it because you can't come into the office you've yeah. got to be at home but you've got to access those files and there's only one way to do it and that's with that's cloud enabled technology yeah um so we do so we we do that and we we do various other things. We get involved with a lot of programs inside of Autodesk. We get involved with a lot of open standards programs as well. We bring that back into Autodesk, a lot of that um, standards, uh, like global national standards, um, organizations organizations like Building Smart International. We, we are very, very heavily involved mm -hmm. with building smart and open beam standards. So IFC, which everyone would have heard of, um, we, we we manage a lot of that work um, with the product teams. We do a lot of that work. We 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 do a lot of um, we work very closely with the strategy team. So water infrastructure buildings, we work very closely with those teams. We bring a lot of um, technical and industry acumen back into Autodesk. A lot of that intelligence mm -hmm. um, because we work very closely with these major projects. So yeah, and that's probably thirty percent. I get involved with so much <laughs> stuff, and every day is just something different. It's always something different. Always, and it doesn't matter if it's in, um, I, I, I don't know, um, you know, United States or Oslo or Orange. It, it doesn't matter where it is. Um, yeah, it could be anywhere, and we just we get involved with it. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the downside is um, there's a lot of calls at odd days of times of the day and night mm-hmm. because, you know, around this time, the UK and Europe is working their day and then come around 11 or 12 p.m. 11 or 12, 12 at night, tonight. we've got America coming on to online. East West Coast start to come online as yep. well. So because <clears throat> it's a global role, there's lots of these really odd mm-hmm. calls. I try and push back a lot on them, but sometimes you just you can't get three geos together. So someone yeah. has to suffer, and yeah. generally it's the, generally it's the Aussies because we <laughs> we probably work, you know, dare I say it, harder than than most. <laughs> there you go, one for the Aussies. Huh? There you go. Tink. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. It, w- it would be quite difficult being being global and trying to to manage that all at once. It really would. I mean, I know, uh, you know, working. Um, with the geoholics podcast and doing stuff on their time it's like okay so that's in the middle or you know the morning is their their afternoon and then i've got elaine over in england for get kids into survey and it's like okay when when do i need to meet with her and uh, i'm speaking um to another lady allison from england about education stuff and it's like okay well uh, if I make it four o'clock here, you'll be right in the morning for, you know, over there. And <laughs> it's just like I've got my phone and in my times on my phone now, I basically am constantly going back to that going, okay, what's Perth? <laughs> what's what's the West Coast happening? What's happening in, in Arizona, you know, in, in Phoenix? Yeah. Where's where's England at? Where's this at? It's just like going, oh my god, this is crazy. I'll just keep scrolling through, looking at the different time zones to work out when I can meet with people. Yeah, it's funny because when we when we talk, and I'll talk to Eddie or one of my colleagues in the mm. US, um, and as you say, our morning is their afternoon, depending on whether you're east or west coast, and they'll say, oh, we need to meet around you know whatever time and i'll say yeah but that's 7 p.m australia time like how do you know that like well, it's baked <laughs> in i know it you know and yep. it gets really weird when i travel and i might go to the us or europe my my clock is completely out of sync i don't even know so what i say to them is you put a you put a placeholder in my calendar and i'll either accept it or reject it it's up to you but i don't know what time that is in sydney by the time i get home so, yeah. yeah yeah but you yeah. have this clock in your head that you you know when when people wake up and go to sleep, it's really, it's really weird. It's odd. Yeah, it's it odd. is. It is. And cause you know, I sit there on Instagram or something and, um, you know, it'll be nine, nine thirty sort of thing. And I'll know that I've got certain friends on mm. the East coast that start messaging me because I know, oh, they've just woken up, you know, oh, if I'm still awake at 11, it's, you know, slowly creeping their way across the, the across the country kind of thing of who's, who's going to send a message next or reply to a story or something like that, because it's, you know that yeah and it, and it's funny cuz Aussies are, are really you know over the part you know forget covid um Aussies you find you, Aussies are travelers mm. it's just what we do it's because we are geographically at a disadvantage and it's really funny because i might be in um Turin in Italy and i'll hear an Aussie voice <laughs> and i'll know straight away and it's 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 you, you can distinguish it with any other accent mm. as well. And a lot of my colleagues mistaken me for either a South African or yes. a, 
someone from the UK or someone from New Zealand. Yep. And we as Aussies, we can pick the, we know, we can pick the difference straight away, but mm. they tend to sort of struggle with it. Um, I think the one they struggle with most is the the key with the New Zealand accent and mm. the Australian accent, whereas we can pick up on that almost straight away immediately yeah yeah but it's and it's so nice to you know i was doing some ridiculous amount of i was doing three i was in the top one percent of Qantas there for a period of time um creek and flight they sent me an email and said hey whoa (laughs) doing a lot of miles there so but it's so nice to come home you you, sorry have you just just on that note have you got any spare frequent flies at the moment i've got to get to i've got to get to um vegas in november Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very expensive to fly at the moment. This is like one of the hangovers from yeah from COVID, which is everyone wants to get out of Australia. There's only a finite amount of seats on an aircraft, mm-hmm. so the economics of supply and demand are quite simple. You want to get out. There's no seats. <laughs> the seats are expensive. I know. Um, Tell me about if it. At the front end of the aircraft, they're super expensive. Which oh yeah, no, I'm always down the other end. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's really yeah. I, we I have to go to Japan in the next two weeks, and then we have a very large conference in New Orleans in oh, late wow. September. Really? And to get to New Orleans, you either got to go to Dallas on yep. the Qantas, or you go via LA. Either one is hard, and it's expensive, and it's mm-hmm. yeah. Don't need someone to carry your bags for you, do you? Uh, I <laughs> yeah. I, I travel very light. That's the one thing you get to learn as well is. You do everything in your power not to check in a bag, everything, whether it's domestic or international, you 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 pack and travel very lean because to check in a bag is going to hold you up. How long and, are you going to New Orleans for? Uh, that's a bit longer. So I'm going to take yeah, some, okay. some time before there. Yep. Um, uh, we're going to go to Charlotte before there and then. But, oh, no. but typically I, I try and keep the trips to about a week. Mm-hmm. Anything longer than that just becomes just hard it's it's really hard on the body to travel a lot it's really mm, would be the jet lag is a real thing and you've got to you know when you get off that plane at at you you got to you got to be on you know mm. you can't sort of oh I'm going to spend the next day and a half in bed you've got to be ready you've got to be business ready you've got to be fit so yeah it's <clears> i try and keep it to a week cuz that's that's pretty much all i can manage yeah um, do you try but, and yeah. alter your time before you go sort of things or not you I've just tried everything honestly peter i've tried that um i've tried sort of natural sleeping tablets mm-hmm. i've tr- i've tried this really it's just the pick of the draw I, I okay i was in denver a couple of months ago and i got to sleep i was lucky i got a sleeper to go over there on a Qantas on the 787 and I didn't sleep a wink for 13 hours. You know, oh it's, my God. it's all just, I don't know, you, your body works in really weird ways yeah. when you're 40,000 feet in the air traveling at 1,000 k's an hour mm. for 14 hours. It's a pretty unnatural event. So for me, it's I, I just try to eat well as well as I can, drink mm-hmm. plenty of water, and that's pretty much it. There's nothing, you know, I stay away from sort of sleeping tablets or anything like that, but yeah. Okay, so no real tips for me then. Okay, thanks. No, no, no. Just, <laughs> yeah, don't let the adrenaline get the best of you. Try and get as much sleep as you can on that plane. That's, no matter if you're sitting up or lying down. Mm. Yeah, I'll be sitting cattle class. <laughs> sitting up. Not fun. I'll make just sure I've got my middle, pillow. Just don't get the middle seat. This is the other thing with travel. You, you, you really, 
you you know what seats are the good seats and you know mm. what seats are not the good seats. So mm -hmm. as soon as you book that flight, I'm on the app and I'm choosing the right. <laughs> um, yeah, people are going to think I'm weird, but that's what you got to do. Yeah. For work, it's not for pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Autodesk, how, I mean, I know that I contacted you about my stuff. Um, mm -hmm. What does Autodesk do for education across the world? Do they have a, a lot going on? Yeah, I mean, we we made an active decision a few years ago that we would um, provide licences for educational institutions mm -hmm. for free, mm -hmm. um, that we would open up access to the tech, um, which which makes complete sense on every single level. And you could take it. You could take a position that oh, it's good for Autodesk. We take definitely a different position mm -hmm. in that we want people to come out of education to be digital natives. With doesn't matter if it's our tech or we want them to hit the construction site or the engineering practice or the surveying practice or whatever it is. We want them to get there and be ready to go from day one mm -hmm. and have that foundational framework. Um, on how technology works from the second that they hit the books on their first day mm. because we have a real problem that um, I think everyone knows and feels is that we have a real shortage shortage of engineers. We definitely have a shortage of surveyors globally. Is there really a shortage of engineers? Yep. Really? Yeah. I mean, Okay, I've had my head in the sand. Yeah, look, look at the mega projects that we, we – we we've we've got a hundred and twenty billion dollar pipeline in Australia mm -hmm. over the next ten years for infrastructure projects. Yeah, the, the stark reality is, I'm not sure if we've got the people to design and deliver it. We've committed the money. I'm just not sure. Mm -hmm. You know, we 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 haven't had any migration in two years. Yeah, um, that's put a real stopper on 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 things, and mm -hmm. that's why we're seeing increased pressure, in particular in the AEC industry, on wages. Because to get really good people, they're being headhunted by here, there, and everywhere. They're, they're, yeah. they're very, um, they're very well um, sort of needed. Mm -hmm. Those skills, and this comes back to kind of those skills that I was given years and years and years ago. Yeah. The skills yeah. that surveyors in particular possess. So the skills of knowing how to read a plan. And seeing that plan in 3D, that might be a 2D plan on an iPad or it might be a, an actual physical sheet. Mm -hmm. The skill of data, understanding where data originates from, from its inception through to the final handover, understanding spatial coordinate systems, understanding the geoid, understanding GPS, these skills are in absolute high demand. and. Mm. That's given me is that's given me complete options in my career. That's given me an opportunity to say it doesn't just have to be surveying. Yep. We are surveyors are in the critical path of the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. Oh yeah, they are the yeah. first ones on site, and they're the last ones to leave. Mm -hmm. And throughout that supply chain, throughout that sort of life cycle of the the asset, whether that be physical or digital. They're in the critical path. You can't do major projects or any project, whether it be building or infrastructure, without a surveyor. They are their intelligence is mission critical. Mm -hmm. 
So I know this is something we talked about the other day um, mm. with the, you know, the surveying and having the surveying background because yep. I know AutoCAD or the, the package, Autodesk packages, are, yep. um, we talked about the different types of software because I was yep. a magnet, civil CAD magnet, which is yep. very much a surveying-based program, whereas sure. your Autodesk, AutoCAD programs weren't. And how you come into it and having that knowledge to be able to to work with the program and the people yeah. from that perspective. Because I still yeah. struggle with AutoCAD in the sense that my head is so so civil CAD based. Yeah. Yep. And surveying, here's my spot. I do it's just second nature to me in that program. Um and and I always did stuff in there, took it over to AutoCAD, prettied it up, put it on a on a title block, printed it out. That was my AutoCAD, taught myself how to do that, all that kind of stuff. Whereas it gets used a lot more now in yeah, the industry. AutoCAD really is like the base yeah. platform. Yeah. And then we have tools like AutoCAD Civil 3D. Yes. Which is a civil design package which can ingest survey data yeah and it's essentially all of the um functionality of autocad with a civil package built on top mm -hmm. and then there's there's autocad architecture and there's there's a lot of flavors of autocad there's autocad plant 3d which is um, an industrial plant design package that sits on yeah. the autocad platform yeah. um but that i was a civil cad power user back in you know, when we had the big white dongles mm -hmm. that plugged in the parallel port. And um, <laughs> so I, I know, you know, CivilCAD is brilliant, absolutely brilliant package. But, but um, you know, again, this idea that we would take that in, create a plan and distribute it, that mm. still exists today. I think that that whole workflow is a little bit probably more streamlined. I mean, I think as well that the engineers that are using that information or the architects that are using that information, broadly speaking, um, probably want more than that. Um, mm. One of the things that we just acquired when I joined Autodesk was a, a little tool called Recap. Yes. Um, we kind of acquired this. It was it was a bit, when we do acquisitions, that sometimes they're bits of everything and we sort of bring them together and that, that was no different. That was kind of an acquisition of the sum of its parts. And... What we wanted to do with Recap is we wanted to make those point clouds available to anyone, irrespective of your skill level, because we found that using those point clouds was a really specialised, at the time, it was really, really specialised. You needed specialised software and it was only you know, the, the few that could use it. What we wanted to do was kind of democratise that idea that data is data, point mm -hmm. clouds are data, mm -hmm. and whether you're an architect or a civil engineer or whoever it is, we want you to be able to look at that data, you know, um, interrogate that data and be able to use that data in a meaningful way. One of the big things that we have currently in our industry is we have this idea that I term data loss. We spend so much time curating and creating and passing over data this studies recently suggest that 95.5% of all of that data just goes unused. I know. And that that's data loss. That's data waste. It's massive. You know? and, and broadly speaking, that some of that data um, is used with public, you know, is procured with public money. 
Mm-hmm. So we've got to get better as an industry of harnessing the power of data and the one profession, again, that sits in that critical path that understands data at its core level is the surveying industry. Mm. So there's so the opportunities for the surveying industry and surveys in general, um, and and I would say geospatial specialists, yeah, sort of broaden that term in in our industry. Given the spend and the investment that we're making in this country in particular, is enormous. It's huge. Mm. Mm. And we see. Um, we, we see the best of the best and we see some of the not so good. So we see the absolute incredible best and we see practices that, you know, uh, customers that really need help in terms of how they're procuring and using data and engineering the data. And there's a lot of loss of handover of data, which the whole idea of BIM is meant to stem the tide of that that data loss. Mm. Um, it's meant to be a, a very structured process of handing information over. And in fact, we have we have an ISO standard now yeah. for yeah. information management, a suite of ISO documents called ISO 19650, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. really sets out at its core level how a, a client or an owner would would set up a project, procure a project, call themselves an appointing party, set up appointed parties and be very, very um, procedural around how information is handled and why we actually curate information because there is a lot of loss of data that goes into our industry. There's still a lot of scratching of heads sometimes that, you know, where did this come from and um, yeah. am I yeah. using the right plan? Is it the most current plan at its at its core? Yeah, um, well. That's a risk. Yeah. The, the, the thing with all of this data is that you do have these people um, that don't understand how to do that properly. Sure. And and deal with data or send it away somewhere to get processed and come back and don't do the proper checks on it to ensure that it's correct. They don't, you know, check it. They don't validate it. They just assume that whoever's done done the processing and, and whatever that it's yep. good and send it off to clients and then you have you know million dollar problems because yeah, it doesn't well, actually I mean, fit you are you are so right um one of the things that myself and my team are focused on is that we, we've created a tool a cloud-based tool that essentially is a data validation tool okay so okay. one of the things that you mention around the checking of the data is that historically that's all been done by a human. Mm. Now, humans, as we know, are not perfect. No. Nope. Um, they can get tired. They can they can drop zeros. They can do they can make errors. And do what I do and swap your numbers around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 1.386 can be 1.683 real quick. Exactly. You know? I know. Yes. Um so what we have to do as an industry, what we have to do as, a, as, a, as you know, the, the $50 billion technology provider to the industry mm-hmm. is that we have to set in place processes to automate that. So m- machines, provided that they're asked the right question, don't return the wrong answer because they're machines 
That's how mm. they operate. So mm. we, we've created, you know, that, that's one of the things that we did is we said, you know, this is crazy. We've got all of these files flying around. We, we don't know whether they're right, wrong or indifferent. The way that it's happening now is that humans are opening up these files and checking what's in them and ticking them off and people can make mistakes. So we're using the cloud and services connected to the cloud to go out and say, we automate that. We spit you back an answer. You open that up in Microsoft Power BI and it tells you where, how good or how bad it is. Yeah. But, I, and and okay, that's so just an, one part of it. So an example of that would be what yep. so you've got your, your, I don't know, ground control or whatever it may be. And then Could you've be. got this other data that, um, you know, whether it's the scanning data, I, you know, I, I don't know, it's all it's all a bit up there for me, but um, the scanning data and they're not processing that properly to the two different files. So is that something, you know, that the computer is then checking that to ensure that it is or? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it could be, it's even more foundational than that. Okay. Um, with a tool like Autodesk Revit, it is have you set your project and survey base point in the right spot? Mm -hmm. Because if that's not in the right spot and you bring that stuff in, a designer is just going to start designing. They're just going to assume nine times out of ten that it's correct. Yeah, You've warranted that information potentially. Mm -hmm. So we've put in place checks and balances to say, is this right? You, you've, you've set this up. Have you set this up in the right way? And if... Yep. And if yeah. you haven't set it up in the right way, tell us where. So triage that before it before mm -hmm. it goes any further. And we've we're going to see more and more and more of this automation. We're going to we're already seeing automation in design because again, when 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 roads and highways and rail gets designed, nine times out of ten historically, it's a human that's sitting there and making the clothoid spiral and doing what they need to do in terms of designing mm -hmm. stuff. The machine is going to play a role in intervening should that not be right. It's mm. going to automate that process. And we're starting to see that at, at a large scale now. And, and the only reason that we're able to do that, Peter, is because we're connected to the cloud. Yeah, The cloud mm. is the enabler to do this um, at scale. Mm. There's still people scared of using the cloud. It, it, it's an interesting one. I mean... I could come back to the standard analogy that, you, you know, you do your banking on your phone, <laughs> you look at your superannuation on your phone, you transfer thousands of dollars on your phone between accounts, yet you won't put an AutoCAD drawing in the cloud, Yeah, which, which is as secure as that internet banking service. The actual cloud environment yeah. is a highly secure environment. Mm. Much more secure than sort of sending emails and passing hard drives around. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. And well, you can fit more on the cloud, can't you? you um, can, well, <laughs> potentially it is infinite. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a cost I, to that. It's not well, free. The cloud's not no, free, by the way. No, of course not. But you, you know, I, I know of companies that are doing all these massive jobs, and some of them, the IT, are going oh you know here's hard drives yeah and you're going yeah hard oh, drives man. fail i don't know if you've had a hard drive fail on you but i've had you a couple have. and it's devastating mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I you cried. see that click 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 and you think oh no mm. oh no it's happened and you know the the, the cloud isn't perfect but you, you're not going to get the click 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 noise with the cloud <laughs> and 
you know, if it's a much more efficient way of controlling versioning, if you're using the correct version, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you're using the correct version because it's the correct version. It's in the cloud. Um, it's a much more efficient way of just getting to the data that you need. Mm. So typically, and let's take a point cloud, for example, you could have a point cloud of Sydney, but you only need 484 George Street. So what do you need? What do you need to pass around the whole point cloud of the city of Sydney for? Yep. You just need that area. And if that's sitting in the cloud, you can choose that area and say, just give me that. You know, the, the efficiencies and the economics of the cloud now are, you know, it just doesn't make a huge amount of sense to be buying hard drives and shipping them mm. here, there and everywhere. I know. Like we used to. I remember we, we used to have these things called zip drives and it was an 80 meg disc and it was like 80 meg, you're never going to feel that. My okay. goodness. Yeah, showing your age, zip drives. I know. <laughs> I know. 80 meg, huh? Oh, I know. What about the old floppy disk? <laughs> yeah, the, th- the three and a half and the five <laughs> and a quarter. Um, oh, yeah, but, but, but I mean, that's what, you know, the whole idea of Moore's Law is computing power doubles every two years or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, Moore's Law is basically, I, I think, coming to some sort of, plateauing okay. um, just because we we're struggling struggling to fit more on the chips you know we're nano we're, we're right down at you know um, the atomic level when we're creating chips now and I, I think we're getting to the point where we just don't we just don't know how we're going to fit more onto these silicon chips mm. there's obviously a silicon chip shortage as well I don't know if if anyone's tried to buy a car recently oh, um, yeah. but that's hopefully going to come to an end. Um, there, there's a lot of building of, of chip factories. There's, I think there's two chip factories that are being built in the US. The US federal mm-hmm. government has said we can't rely on, you know, the poor logistics of the supply chain and waiting. We're just going to go and build our own. Yeah. Now, the problem with building a chip factory is I think it takes two or three years. So there's a lag time, but once they get it, it's it's on sovereign mm-hmm. soil. But I mean, that, yeah. that came back to COVID, didn't it? And they shut them down to build something else? There, there was a big fire in one of the biggest chip factories i think oh, it okay well, again i'll stand corrected from your listeners but there was a significant fire yeah uh, okay. had to shut it down so you know you, you you go and buy a european car and one brand in particular is going back to analog dials for the dash which is wow. quite interesting so you can have the car but you've got to have the analog dials which is retro <laughs> Yeah. Uh, aren't we yeah. going back? Aren't we back to, you know, all the 80s and 90s fashion again? So <laughs> I'm a bit of a fashion. Vi- I don't know what that <laughs> yes, is. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I see my son's girlfriend wearing clothes that I used to wear. I'm going, really? <laughs> that you acquired from the Husky surf shop. Wow. Yeah. I paid for it. Mm. I worked hard. To get my surf yep. clothes. <laughs> Town and country and ocean and earth and barley. Light, and... Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. There you go. Wow. Yep. Now we're showing our age, aren't we? David Booth, lightning bolt and aloha. Mm. Aloha. Mm-hmm. I think ocean and earth was made at Sussex Inlet. Ocean earth, my... Yeah, ocean earth is Sussex Inlet and it's still there. <laughs> wow. Still there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm. So anyway. <laughs> um. Okay, that's really, really interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of people who 
don't don't get it, don't know, don't understand how all that kind of works. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, and the thing is with with Autodesk as well, we, we we're kind of an odd business when you look at it on the surface because we 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 really focus on three distinct areas. The first is obviously where a lot of revenue comes from, which is architecture, engineering, and construction. Yep. That's what everyone yep. knows. And everyone, yeah. We, yeah. we're the AutoCAD company, but we're much more than AutoCAD. I can mm. tell you where, you know, we, excuse me, a few years ago, we we acquired a billion dollars worth of construction tech. We're huge in the construction space, um, bit huge in design, owner-operator. But the other big component of Autodesk that a lot of people probably don't realize is um, what we call design and make, which is manufacturing. So very large automotive, all mm-hmm. the brands that you could think of, um, electronics, big customers in Japan, um, big customers all around the world. And then the third industry that we are kind of prolific in, which I'm sure none of your listeners would may not know, is Hollywood. We have what? an enormous special effects and post-production business. And really? Yeah. Yeah. Any uh any we we've we've had people that work for Autodesk that have won technical Academy Awards. We have Academy Awards sitting in uh, one of our offices in Canada. Um oh, and I didn't know that. And it kind of makes sense when you think about it, yeah. because a lot of Hollywood and any, I would tell you, any Hollywood movie you've seen in the last 10 years, I can guarantee you nine times out of 10, Autodesk would have had a, a footprint in that in that movie or production. Um, it, it makes sense because a lot of Hollywood is digital. There are mm-hmm. movies these days that are completely shot on green screen. Yep. Um, and a lot of that digital content is all done using Autodesk. Um Hmm. We have Peter Jackson, Weta Studios as one of our big customers, um, Technicolor, all, yeah, a lot of the big production houses we work in. So anything, so our philosophy is anything that you can dream of that hmm. needs making, mm-hmm. whether that be a building or a movie or a car, we're going to play a role in that. So, cool. yeah, it's very, and to be and again, for me to be exposed to that <laughs> yep. is it's unbelievable. I mean, there was a lot of work done on Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I'm hoping your listeners would have seen, and maybe you saw it or not. not a me. lot of that city was all vir- it's all virtual, it's all built mm-hmm. digitally. A lot of the city of Vegas to the end of that movie is all just um, Maya, Autodesk Maya. It's all just yeah, wow. digital. Yeah. It doesn't actually exist, and yeah, to be working in that environment and having connections with that team and connections. We have a lot of people on my team that focus on automotive um, mm-hmm. and, and digital manufacturing and product lifecycle management and supply chain. Oh, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, it's 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 unbelievable. And all the, the thing is with from an Autodesk perspective, those three industries, AEC, DNM, and Hollywood, are all converging, mm. all of them, in construction there's a huge focus on dfma design for manufacturing and assembly so prefabrication and the philosophy around prefab is 
manufacturing, exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. And how do you do that? You manufacturing technologies to manage the, the, the process of manufacturing and the supply chain. For all major building and infrastructure projects, they want a slick video. They want, mm-hmm. they want to sell mm-hmm. it. And what do they use? They use Autodesk Hollywood tech to produce those really high-end videos. I mean, there's there's tons of other tech that goes into using it, into producing it. But yeah, so all of those, everything we learn from, you know, the, the um, M&E, so media and entertainment part of our business and the D&M part of our business and the AEC part of our business, we take learnings from all of that. Love that informs how we go to market with other tools and other products because mm. there's some really... They're, they're put, you think about um, a production studio, they're exactly the same. They're 24-7. They've got a movie to make or they've got a TV show. They've got a very tight deadline. They're pushing digital content all around the world to production facilities in Poland and Wellington and Adelaide and Hollywood. You know, that philosophy is no different to how we work in engineering and construction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same. So we learn a lot of stuff. From other industries, it's so in- it's this job is it's so in- you pinch yourself. It's so interesting. There's so yeah. much stuff to learn. I'm still learning every day. Ten years in, every yeah. day I learn something different, something new. I mean, it's amazing the the technology. And I always sit here and and ask about you know the technology where we've sort of been in the last you know 10, 15 years, and where we're going to be in the, in the next ten sort of years. What what's going to happen? What's going to change? And you kind of listen to what you're talking about with all the things that are happening in, in Autodesk. It's like there's, it's just leaps and bounds. It's like it's a whole different world. It's really, I mean, I work, as I say, our team works very closely with our strategy team, which defines mm-hmm. that sort of two, three, eight-year strategy going mm-hmm. forward. And it's one of those things, sometimes it's really hard to predict what's going to happen. And, and we have quite a significant influence over the industry. So we can, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do will influence the industry, but there's the stuff that we just, the stuff that probably hasn't even been invented yet. Yeah. Remember we, what year did we launch the iPhone? 2006. I mean, we can't, can't live without it now. You know, it's part, it's an integral part. It's a business tool. You have to have one or, hmm. or an Android phone. Um, 2006, that was groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, remember, I mean, that's, that's not all that long ago. So digital transformation this digitization of our industry, an industry that arguably there's certain segments of the industry is really inefficient. Mm-hmm. It's accelerating. It's it, we are kind of at the last bastion of all industry. You know, you look at the manufacturing industry, they've been using BIM for 30 years to make stuff. They've been managing the supply chain and digital content and quantification yeah. and you know, doing that for 30 years. <laughs> now there's key differences. So you think about if you make an aircraft, you might make 150 of the same thing. Mm-hmm. You make a building, pretty much they're all pretty different. I mean, yeah. you can modularize a lot of the building, but the facade's yeah. going to look yeah. different. The site's different. The logistics are different. You know, where you procure your materials from. Mm-hmm. So our problem, our, our challenge is, is, is very different. But this idea that we're using digital in our industry the digitization of our industry is absolutely accelerating. Yeah. It's 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 a, it's a magnitude above every single year. Mm. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago uh, with Tim doing the um, locating underground services and stuff like that. Oh yeah, wow. and yeah. 
one of his big things was the storage of the data and the sharing of the data. Why isn't there something where all of it is going into so everybody can access it? You're still going to have to check and validate what's in there. You know, you can't just go, oh, jump on, jump online. Oh, there's, you know, pipes, gas, whatever. I'm going to go and dig here or whatever. You're still going to have to have the people to go out and relocate to check and validate and make sure it's all, you know, is it where it says it is? Is there new things put in or whatever? But having that being able to just have that access to it because somebody's already gone and done it in the first place. That is such a great analogy or such a, an incredible snapshot of our industry. Now, yeah. that problem, mm-hmm. we, you and I were dealing with that problem 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's the same problem. First, where do I get the information so I know what's below the earth? Mm-hmm. I can't see what's down there, but I need as much information as, as I can get because that's it's a very litigious thing that I'm going to do. Mm. And we need a national coordination for that. I mean, the 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 similarities between what's going on there and what's going on with what Australia now likes to call digital engineering, which mm-hmm. is essentially BIM. Yep. We don't have a national annex or we don't have a a national body that's driving the standardization of digital engineering in Australia. And it's the rail it's, we're gonna have a rail gauge problem. Same thing. That Digital engineering in Victoria is going to be different to New South Wales, which is going to be different to Queensland, which is going to be different to WA. It's it's exactly the same problem. Now, what that does for businesses, surveying practices in particular, Mm -hmm. is that national, like large surveying practices that practice across Australia, they have to have specifications and standardisation for each jurisdiction. That is an absolute nightmare. Now, this is a... This is a problem that we can we can solve this problem. We are the smart country. We we can do mm. this. We look very closely to the UK for a lot of this um, standardization. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that came up with PASS and BS eleven ninety two, which is now ISO nineteen six fifty. Mm-hmm. We're a smart country. We we can have national guidelines and national standardization for all agencies across Australia um, for digital engineering. Now we we have a great we have a great industry association called NatSpec. We have we have lots of great industry associations that are advocating for this, um, but we just don't have it. And it's it's kind of we're so close yet it feels like we're so far. And 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 it doesn't have to be this thousand page dissertation of what digital engineering would look like. It just has to set the ground rules to say, hey everyone. We're all going to play nice. We're all going to share information in the same way. You're going to have access to the the, inf- the right information that mm-hmm. you need at the right time, taking the ISO 19650 philosophy. And we're all going to be in this together. And 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 your, ex- your customer's experience with the underground assets is a poster child for how we're just not efficient in doing yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, you look at all of the the companies that you've got to go through um, the before you dig system. Yeah, the dog before you dig. So I'll tell you what happens. I'm pretty sure it still happens. Again, I'd love your listeners to say it doesn't. You'll have surveyors come in. 
at the start of a project and do that whole dive before you dig and then they'll pothole and they'll trace and put mm-hmm. the sond on and spray mm-hmm. marks on the on the footpath. And then the contractor will come in with a different procurement methodology, a different contract. And because that, you know, the, there's a lack of warranty or liability for the information, they're going to do the whole thing again. Yep. Um, now, I'd be shocked to know that that doesn't happen. No, and that's happens. that's money. Yep. Someone's paying yep. for that because, you know, the one industry that we need to trust, the survey industry, um, you know, no one's going to warrant that information. We, mm. we we need to warrant that information because, you know, the, we don't want to double do potholing and underground utility tracing. That's an extremely expensive and inefficient way of doing it. It's time-consuming. It delays the project. It adds Mm. risk. Um, Mm. I I just, we, you know, we look at reform for the industry, Mm. that kind of stuff. If we're going to be a 21st, 22nd century industry, that's the kind of stuff that we've just got to get rid of because it doesn't make any sense to anyone. How does it happen, though? We've got to coordinate all agencies nationally. We've got to so have. That so that'll never happen. Well, <laughs> you say that, but if it, if it goes above the agencies and we have sort of, you know, a federal government agency, for example, um, it might happen. But mm. starting more foundationally, we've got to have a procurement methodology yep. that warrants the information that there is in some way in that contract, it, it negates liability it, it suggests that, you know, it makes suggestions around the data and we just don't have that now. There's nothing mm. around that that I know of. We have a national, I think we have an internationally recognised standard for the tracing and location of underground utilities and there's a whole asset information class for that. Yeah. We've got to have a coordinated approach to, um, and not just underground information, to information, where where it came from, what it could be used for, what it should be used for, who asked for it, who created it, mm-hmm. where it goes from here. We just, we've got to have it because <clears throat> we're, we're wasting, this is back to this 95.5% of data loss. We're just, we're just wasting money. Yeah. We've got to get better at this and we can, we, we're the smart nation. We are. But the, but I see pop- everything all over the world. I'm telling you, <laughs> I see everything. Yeah, okay. We are, we are, we are leading in so many ways. Yeah. We are. We're highly skilled, um, incredible industry. We can do yeah. it. But you say, okay, so you say that, you know, the the, the cloud is not cheap. Um, who's going to be the one, who's going to be the data custodian for it? Who's going to look Ooh. after it? Ooh. Who's going to maintain it? Now you're asking How- the hard question. <laughs> I mean, these are all the well, questions that kind of you, you come up. But you, you want this, this sure. thing has to happen. So then where does that lie? Who does it lie with? Who bears the cost? Some, so I, I think with, with everything, we have to start with the end in mind. That's kind of the philosophy that we, we work from. And what are we using? Ultimately, are we creating a new railway, a light rail, a heavy rail, freight rail, roads, highways, um, industrial complex? You know, what are we creating? And then how are we going to manage that asset? Mm-hmm. 
going forward because all of the money in capex capital expenditure so you know large rail project might mm-hmm. take 10 years to build yep they're for 150 the opex you know the 20 billion we spend in capex is nothing compared to the 150 years of managing and maintaining that asset yep. for the next you know could be longer than 150 years mm. so we, we we've got to start with the end in mind to say what do we want the asset to do how do we want the asset to perform mm-hmm. what sorts of information do we need and that sh- and more questions like that that should determine how we procure how we create information how we go to market how we construct and then how we hand over and whether that means that there is one authority or one jurisdiction or one asset owner that has final ownership over the information that would own that environment, that's up for debate. But there mm. has, but to your point, there has to be someone or some entity. But but also, again, we've got to get back to f- fundamentals. What do we want? How are we going to manage this asset, this mm-hmm. this roads project? How are we going to maintain it? What sort of data do we need? What sort of data do we not need? Mm. Those questions, those are critical questions that we need to ask, and that should determine who has that final jurisdiction over the information and how we're going to manage that information going forward. The the reality is that everyone at the moment is working in their own cloud environment and they're shoving files around in the cloud. Mm -hmm. That's how how it is. This whole notion that there is one common data environment and we all work out of that and it's all serendipity and... It's just not true. Everyone has their own environment. They do their work in progress and then they hand information over at various stages depending on the on the contractual model. Mm. Um, now, the argument, is that efficient? Well, probably is. You know, again, coming back to this, we'd rather do that than be, you know, handing hard drives hard over drives. and shipping hard drives around. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's- a great question. I mean, there's no right answer to the question, but this is the question that we as a nation need to start asking how do we want to manage mm-hmm. our national assets going forward these are national assets these are country defining projects that we're undertaking whether it's metronet in perth or sydney metro or cross river right i mean the, these are enormous projects that are of high value to the public these are pub this is public infrastructure yeah we've got yep. to start asking the right questions as an industry in terms of how do we want to manage these public facilities over the next 150 years and what do we need to do to not future-proof but what what do we need to do to put in place so that when new technologies come along we can manage these much more effectively and efficiently we don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years we don't know what technology is going to appear but we know that it is going to appear that's the thing it's the great unknown that's known there is going to be technological change because now we've We've set the ball rolling. You can't put it back. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lots to ponder. <laughs> you, you've asked some very, very deep questions. There's, there's some people that don't ask those questions. It's very, very interesting. Oh. And they're great. I mean, they're the right questions. They're the right I, questions. I don't know where and they came from. <laughs> we, we just need to get together. And mm. decide on how we're going to do this. That's yeah. the reality. But so, okay, is that is that an, a national? Is it is it a national thing? Is it 
the the states and territories? Is it the uh, the the individual industries got this tier of who who how where and when? <laughs> it's complicated because the, the the federal government can't overly dictate to the state if the states are paying for it. Yeah, through public private partnerships or there's a funding arrangement, then the, the federal government can't really dictate to the states. And then we have this third tier of government, which we have local councils and lo- local mm. municipalities, which exactly. manages, you know, the the local roads, yeah. um, and they manage it through their own OPEX. So, you know, we, we're not a one-jurisdiction country. No. we just got to have a nationally coordinated approach to this, is, is, is my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, and I, as I said, we're a smart nation. We can do this. We mm. 100% can. And we can be seen leading the world 100%. Because as I said to you, Peter, I've seen the best of the best and I've seen the not so best yeah. of the best. And we we are definitely up there as a nation. We do great stuff here. Incredible. Mm. Mm-hmm. Incredibly diverse work skills. We bring skills in from all around the world. The best skills working on the baddest, biggest and baddest projects on earth. And we do it better, I think, than anyone. Look at look at the infrastructure and the buildings that surround us. High quality infrastructure and buildings. We do it better than most in the world. Um, and and we can do. This is just one thing that we can do. It just it's going to require reform. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't see that happening. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a glass time. half full. I think we can. I think we can. I'm mm. quite. I'm quite buoyant. I'm. I'm, I'm quite uh, optimistic around it. I think okay. we can. You work on that side and I'll stick on the education side and get that sorted, okay? <laughs> Look, I, I think there's going to be a tipping point where we're going to have to. Yep. There, there is going to be a moment and, you know, it wasn't COVID, but there is going to be a moment in our journey as an industry and we're going to have to make some hard decisions about how we how we do this going forward. You know, everyone's talking about digital twins. Mm-hmm. Um, Really, you know, the idea of a digital twin is we create these incredible digital experiences and digital assets. We've got to use it to manage the asset going forward in OPEX. Yeah. That's that's really what a digital twin is. It's yeah. harnessing yeah. the data to manage the asset in the most efficient and effective way. And everyone wants one. And it's a bit like the early days of BIM, where it's like everyone wanted to do it, no one quite knew how. Digital twin is no different. Everyone wants a digital twin. No one knows quite how to get there. And that's because we've done a great job at design and construction over the years. But we, we, that's kind of where it ended. It's like, what do we do now? We just hand over, I'll give you the model and I'll give you what you think you need and away you go. Mm. Those days are, are coming very, very rapidly to an end. Public sector is very prescriptive about what they want from the industry and yeah. how they're going yeah. to manage the asset. They want to get to the data. And they know they, know they can get the data. So now they're asking for it. We want it. Mm. And I think it's great. I think it's gonna it's gonna reform our industry. It's 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 a great move. Digital twin, whether it's called something else in the next five or ten years, doesn't matter. I think it's a great move. Yeah, well, I mean that is happening, isn't it? So Yep. And who's in the critical path of that? Surveyors. In the critical path <laughs> once again. I know. I know. We just got our little fingers in every little pie somewhere, don't we? High value, high skilled, high mm-hmm. worth mm-hmm. Um, in the critical path. Yep, definitely. Okay, moving on because we're kind of, I don't want to take too long of your time. 
um, <laughs> I guess, I mean, you've had such a diverse career and it's taken you in a place that you probably didn't think you were going to end up. Yeah. Um, maybe a silly question to ask, but do you regret the decisions you made in becoming a surveyor, choosing that, that career choice in the first place? That's, again, that is such a great question. I'm full of um, great questions. I told you. <laughs> and, and I shouldn't say um a lot, but I, I, I just, I'm a bit lost for We all do that. It's it's one of those things, I guess, that you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Would I would I would I change anything? Sure, I've made some really dumb decisions, and but don't those because that's something I also ask. But don't those dumb decisions ha- they have led you to where you are now? Yeah, I think yeah. you take the dumb decisions, a pinch of luck, and. <laughs> Some other stuff and some, you know, I mentioned before some serendipity and Mm. that's how you end up where you are. I mean, Mm. I, yeah, I I don't think, I don't think I would, I don't think I have regrets. I would have liked to have done things differently along the way. Mm -hmm. I would have, but then maybe that would have changed the path. Yeah, I know. And I just don't, I I don't think a lot about the regrets. Mm. I think if you did, it would be, it would kind of eat you up. Yeah, I agree. And you just don't want to let that sort of get to you because yeah. I think you can think you can think a lot about it mm. about things that even you know when I was growing up in Husky, you know, just yeah, there's things along the way where you think, wow, that was a dumb decision, but that's the decision. <laughs> I think that's we it. all made some like, dumb decisions down there. Yeah, I mean, everybody does. <laughs> I'm I've. Honestly, I have been, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say and I'll touch with If it all ends tomorrow, I, I can say I've had the most fabulous run. Yep. Um, I have met the most incredible people. Mm-hmm. I have seen a lot of Australia. I have seen a lot of the world. Mm. I have seen, you know, with these eyes I have seen things that I, you know, it's hard to describe sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. I just have to pinch myself because I I, I didn't come from a lot. We weren't, mm. we, we didn't come from a lot of money. We, we yeah, we, you know, my, my brother, my younger brother um, is the first university graduate mm-hmm. um, behind my, my sister went back and did her um, degree as well. You know, we, we weren't that family. We were just, you know, we were yeah. just the run of the mill. I don't know if we were even lower. We were kind of middle class, if that. And we didn't have any sort of predetermined ideas of what we were going to do as kids and where mm. we were going to end up. You know, I, I wanted to go and join the army, but I'm colorblind. So I got <laughs> kind of denied. You know, that's one of the things that you can't be in the army. You've got to be able to see the enemy. So, you know, How my, does that work with of, your computer stuff now? Like, yeah, it's interesting because yeah. I good question. And people say, "Oh, what happens when you come to the lights when you're driving?" It's like, well, that's red and that's amber and that's green. I, I mean, what I, what I see is probably different to what you see, but I know like red, amber, yeah. green. Like, yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't have any real effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we didn't really have any predetermined ideas about anything that we were going to do as kids. Mm. We we just and I don't. I think our parents wanted us to just be happy, but 
I, I just, I don't know. I feel like I've just had this great run yeah. and I, I put it down to, uh, again, I put it down to the people that I've met along yeah. the way that really have, Peter, they, they have really taken me under their wing mm. for whatever reason. I can't even tell you why. They've shown me and imparted their knowledge on me to, to the to the varying degree, like unbelievable degrees. Yeah, and this is where sometimes you end up, and it's with a pinch of luck. And mm. yeah, I, I've just had a it's 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 unbelievable. And I want it to continue. You know, I love yep. what I do, yep. and everywhere I go as well, where I can, I always let people know where I came from. You never forget ever mm. where you came from. So they will ask, you know, oh, what's where, you know, whether it's in a Norwegian accent or a Nebraskan accent or what, where did you, you know, where did you get your start? And I'll tell them, you know, I started out surveying in Australia as a, as a surveyor. And some of them are quite shocked at that, but most are like, okay. yeah, they nod their heads. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So yeah. No, I mean, back to your original question, I, I don't really want to think about regrets. I can't because I can't let it get to me, but mm. I just like to think about the good stuff. Yep. The good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Do you have regrets? Um, <clears throat> I do, but I don't. I have regrets. Um, there are things that I probably would have liked to have done differently. But sure. once again, I it, it is what it is. It's led me to where I am now, um, and I'm pretty lucky too where I am yeah, now. Of course. Um, you know what I'm doing, and in saying that, I've worked my absolute butt off my whole life to probably be where I am right now. Um, so, yes, yes, and no. There's always things I think, oh, if I would, I wonder what would have happened if I had done this if I did that differently. I do wonder, but I don't, it's not something I dwell on. There's a great common denominator, Peter, that with everyone I meet from wherever they're from, the really good people are, I would say 99% of the time are the really hard workers Mm. that put in hours, love what they do, want to be better, want the industry to be better, want want their business to be better. And I think it's a testament for hard work. So for anyone wanting to come mm. into the industry, don't think that hard work won't get you somewhere. Hard no, hard work no. is come, you know, is a means to an end. It gets you to where you want to be. I think you're you're a great example of it. Um, that hard work is rewarding as well. It's yeah. extremely rewarding. I think um, it's also the love and the passion as well, finding finding the things that really mean something. I mean I love surveying, but I also love helping people. Mm. And so the education side of that is where I found my place because even when I went back to industry, I enjoyed it. I wasn't being challenged like I need to be challenged and it just wasn't fulfilling in that sense. And Mm. I didn't do it at a good time. You know, I left when COVID hit so I wasn't around people very much I was in in a job that I didn't really know what I was doing it was a job that was made for me um you know all all of that kind of stuff 
but it also it took me out of another position that I couldn't I didn't want to be in so you know that's not something that I regret doing anyway but it made me realize that this is probably not where I want to be I'm now where I need to be want to and need to be yeah that's amazing because that that must feel so fulfilling when yeah you're imparting that knowledge and at the end of the day you you walk away and you've given that gift that that knowledge is something that no one can take away once you have it um i'm married to an educator Mm -hmm. and she's been in the department of education for 29 years this year poor thing and she (laughs) (laughs) well yeah maybe that's for another podcast yeah Yeah. she's incredible because everything in her dna is pointing to wanting kids to come out of school with knowledge that that doesn't matter what your demographic is where you grew up where you're Mm -hmm. from whether you have money whether you don't knowledge is something that no one can take away and she i know she believes it and lives it and i think probably you're exactly the same Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that the, the best thing is that um, knowing that I've helped someone take the next steps of possibly the rest of their life and what it comes back to that I still, like I, I, I get old students contacting me wow. to ask me, um, you know, they want to start a business or they want to change jobs or, you know, they're coming and asking me and I might not have spoken to them for four or five years. Wow. And they're coming back to me and, you know, if I see them in the street or um, at the ESI Awards the other night, I saw some of my old students and they're like, oh, my God, it's wow. so good to see you, you know, kind of thing. And you just go, I've made a difference in someone's life. That's That that's is, it. yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Not that this is about me. <laughs> well, I, I don't have the same, but I, I often have people who I've met years and years ago would come up to me and say, you remember when you showed me how to do this? Well, look now. and Yeah, you know, so you made then, a difference with them as well. Well, maybe I have. Maybe I, yeah, I mean, it does, I, mean it's, I don't think it's the same, but and, and a lot of the individuals I met very early on at Autodesk, a lot of the customers, some of those now are coming on to almost running the whole enterprise. Yeah. And they always tie back to... Um, those key moments in time when yeah. you met them and we we did this or we did that. I, mm-hmm. I was speaking to someone, very a CTO the other day of a very large engineering consultancy practice, and he said, oh, remember when we first met back in 2011 and I was doing this and you were doing that and and you find that you have this cohort you still stay in touch with and yeah. people yeah. have really progressed their careers and it's, and, it's, and it's very satisfying to see, I have to say. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly... Probably not as satisfying as what you do, but it's it's it's, it's no, nice. It's just, to see. it's just a different. It's just it's it's in a, in a different context. They're still moving yeah. and doing things that you've had an p- impact in somewhere. Yeah, you've yeah. done something to leave to leave something in them that that well they remember. So you did something well, right. I hope so because it, uh, you know mm. as we've had this discussion, there's been four or five or six individuals that have definitely. Mm. left an indelible impression on me yeah that yeah. have kind of shaped and defined you know me even being here now so mm. it's uh, yeah it's yeah mm. i only hope i can do some of that because yeah they're incredible 
Cool. Okay. What motivates you? Oh, that, that's kind of hard but easy. I mean, the, the easy part of that mm-hmm. is seeing what people do with tech. Mm-hmm. We So end of September, we have our yearly conference called Autodesk University. Yep. Um, this is the first time post-COVID that we're going to do it in person. The last time we did it, we had 13,000 customers turn up. Wow. And it is without question the most inspirational thing that you'll ever see. It's mm-hmm. the best of the best opening up their IP, telling everyone how they do it in a yeah, forum wow. that anyone can go and see. Mm-hmm. And it's mind-blowing. You 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 just don't you don't think that some of that stuff is even possible. And that's what probably keeps me up to one o'clock in the morning and wakes me up very early. That's what keeps you going because it's just inspiring. I, I love seeing, I, I just love seeing businesses be successful. I yep. love seeing yep. young engineers coming through. I love seeing young surveyors. I love reading the LinkedIn posts of young surveyors and survey businesses becoming successful. I just love seeing people that really, some of them come from absolutely nothing be absolutely successful. That's what gets you up in the morning, hundred yep. percent, without question. Yeah, that's awesome. Humbling. Agree. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. All right. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> um. So the one rule of a cyclist is you never tell your wife how much your bikes cost. <laughs> is she going to listen to this? <laughs> Probably, but she won't know. I mean, that that's kind. Of, yeah, that's kind of my guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're expensive machines, those things. They are finely tuned. Yeah. Am I selling it to you yet? I know exactly what you're kind of talking about. I have about. an Italian one. I have an American one. I have... Uh, oh! Yeah. Are they the um, the electric one? Are they? Is it electric? I, I have one electric mountain bike, oh. a very good one. I have a specialised oh. turbo levo. Oh! Mm, no. That's... I don't have many guilty pleasures because okay. I don't have a lot of time. But um, when I do get out with the bunch that I ride with, it's I, I liken it to like the men's shed. We have conversation. We have conversations that some people let stuff out when you're riding as a group with all your mates that they wouldn't normally say. Mm-hmm. It's very, um, very cleansing. It's a very cleansing mm-hmm. experience. So it's not just the bikes. Good. It's yeah. getting together and yeah talking about men's issues and yeah, yeah i mean it's when i yeah. when i get the chance to do it it's brilliant but yeah that's definitely my guilty pleasure is yeah um, road bikes very nice road bikes and then mm-hmm. yeah mountain bike what's the um what would be the best work advice that you could give someone or that you have been told i have a couple uh-huh. uh, the first is you have two ears and one mouth yep use that ratio wisely the second is, and Peter Williams, a surveyor in Queanbeyan, told me this, and it was it's a bit of a metaphor. He said, worry about the degrees, not the seconds. Worry about the big stuff. Uh-huh. Don't let the little stuff get to you. It's a great saying. It's very And true. as I said, 30 years later, it's never left me. That's a good one. Mm. Um, be humble and be show humility. Yes. In particular Always. with your clients, with the industry, with your family. Mm-hmm. You know, do do everything you can in that space. And the the biggest asset that you have, 
that is almost in your control is time. Use it wisely and your kids are only kids once. And I know everyone in this industry works their absolute guts out and is working really, really hard, but try and park some time for the family, which regrettably I wish I'd done more of. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing a lot more now. There you go. There's there's the regret. (laughs) Maybe that's a big regret. Look, yeah. I mean, I always say that my my kids, my three kids, um, I say they they never had a mum because mm. I was always working yeah. for all of them. Um, you know, they still they still had a mum, but I wasn't a stay at home mum. Yeah, but yeah, now I, they have that work ethic, their... ethic as well. So work ethic is very important. So yeah, I mean, my kids remember me being on a plane a lot and not yeah. being here. So. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe that is a regret, mm. but, but yeah, so worry about the big stuff. Don't let the yeah. little stuff yeah. get to you. Cause it's not important. Sometimes it's just noise. It's not important. Mm. Um, but definitely that humility, be humble. Yeah. Um, people pick up on humility. Um, try and try and I try and practice it a lot and it's, yeah. And I listen, I try and listen a lot too and not, it's sometimes it's hard. I've got to force myself to not jump in, just, yeah, mm-hmm. listen. The listening is your greatest, time and listening is your greatest asset. Yeah, what 100%. do they say? Um, most people listen to reply. Is that, no, most people listen yeah, to reply, I not to, not, oh, I don't know. Yeah, they're basically waiting for you to finish a sentence yeah. so that they can yeah. talk. They're not yeah. actually listening to you. Yeah, they're not taking in what you're actually saying. You can pick up, people pick up on that. They know exactly what you're doing. It's not clever. So just. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I attend a lot of work. I attend a lot of workshops. Mm. And on the odd occasion, you'll turn up to a workshop and there'll be a room of people with their laptops open. Yeah. And I, I've been, I've learned to be brave and said, listen, I, I want you to get as much out of this as what I'm going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you to close your laptops. You're going to have time to answer your emails in the break so please close your laptops and let's get as much out of this as as you can yeah that's so true yeah it's because if your laptops are even in zoom meetings sometimes you'll see someone like you'll hear the typing and the clicking Mm. you'll think come on whip it's 30 minutes let's let's just get (laughs) we need to get done and go back to the it is important but yeah just yeah and that comes back to that listening thing like be be in the moment be present listen That's that's probably the I'm not great at advice. That's probably the best advice that I could give, which is probably <laughs> someone else's advice. Well, it's obviously something that you've taken in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So how do you relax? Is it the bikes? Um I like to just I like to just chill out with the family. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time at home with the family now. Yep. Um yep. We love as a family eating out. Like we we try and do that once a week mm-hmm. because we just like to have a break from the whole cooking thing. And oh, tell um, me more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I'm a I don't watch a lot of like streaming services, mm-hmm. but I I love watching golf on YouTube and yeah, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. But just mm-hmm. spending time. With the phone down, the yeah. laptop closed, and just not—it's hard to do. Being present, 
being present mm-hmm. and just yeah, relaxing and yep. yeah, mm. and, and spending taking summers off, which mm. is a big thing. Which is like from after Christmas or before Christmas for a couple of weeks. Yeah, just being digitally free mm. is a big thing. That's a hard thing to do. It's really hard, but yeah, trust me. Once you do it, you you it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Mm. You you can live without it. You absolutely can. If but not for a few weeks, it, it can happen. I have a colleague that's just gone on. So in America, they get this thing called sabbatical. Yes. Which yeah. every couple of years they get a you know, they get a few weeks off, six weeks off. Um, they don't get as many. They don't get as much as leave as we get here mm. in Australia, which is why they get sabbatical. And he took two, three weeks and just literally turned the phone off and put it away, put it in the drawer, didn't touch it. Amazing. Wow. And he's a big woodworker, so he's like working with his hand. He just loved it. It's brilliant. Mm. That'd be no, nice. so, no Instagram, no social media, no yeah, mm. nothing. No email. Mm, mm. Yeah, um, that's that's my worst is Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the the biggest thing with business is if you're traveling or you're away, people put these out of offices. So if you send an email, it's like, oh, look, I'm I'm out of office. I'm traveling. I'll get back to you when I can. And the worst thing is when they say, look, I know you've got your out of office on, but I really need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta respect the out of office. You got it. Yeah. The big- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather have a get out of jail card or a key that opens any door? Oh, God. The thing is with me, I won't know what's behind the doors. I'd rather get it. I, I don't want to spend any time in any penitentiary, so I'm going to get out, <laughs> get out of jail card. All righty. If you see a puddle on the ground, do you walk around it, jump over it, or jump in it? I walk around it. I'm not a jumper overer, oh. and I'm not an inner. I'm a, I'm around it because I. I'm not confident that I would jump sort of over it, but in it. So yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> yeah. And some it's really weird. Sometimes I will avoid the cracks in the in the footpath. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. Are you going to ask me about coriander or something? Like, do I like? Oh coriander? no, no, I've never asked that question. Apparently, that's a thing. So. It is a thing. It yeah. It totally is a thing that mm-hmm. it tastes like soap in some people's mouths. Mm, not mine. I like coriander. I'll do coriander. Yeah, I me like too. coriander. Yeah, me too. Uh, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Longevity. I want to see where this all ends up. Okay. Good, bad, indifferent. Yep. I just want to see how how this thing all <laughs> plays out beyond where I'm going to be in forty years. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Why not? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, at a party, where would someone find you? So he, here's the thing about me that you probably, you know, right at the end you've asked me, you might find this staggering. I am a massive introvert. I find social experience and networking and small talk, I find I'm very anxious doing that. I, I find I, that really difficult I'm to do. I have totally to force myself you. to do it. I'm totally with you. In my business, I have to do it. Like. Mm-hmm. I like being around the people I know. Yes. Meeting new people for me. It's not that I don't like. I find it really hard to do. I have to force myself to do it. I mm-hmm. don't think I'm very good at it. COVID has not helped mm-hmm. being at home. You you would find me probably not where you, you think everyone is. I, I, yeah, I find it really, really difficult. I am a massive introvert. And we do these, these tests, these 
to see what what scale you're on and how you work. And yeah, I, I was pretty high on the introvert scale inside mm-hmm. of Autodesk. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Are you, yep. are you an introvert too? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And everyone will go, oh, no, people. you're not. No, you're not. And I go. Yeah, that's what they say to me. They go, oh, pff, Brett Casson, no, you're not. You, you love getting it. No, I, I really don't. I, I'm not not good at it. And and um, if I, I like I, people. I love oh, people. Yeah, it depends. I do. It depends. <laughs> I no, get I'm very not, drained. I, I get very I'm, drained. It, you know what it is? That's what it is. It's actually emotional drainage. And at the end of a big event or whatever, and we had a big event today actually, I feel absolutely exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like physically and mentally, I'm like done. Yep. I like talking to you. I like to but just that interaction, I just feel I'm really not that good at it. People like me, like I'm yeah. I've had no problems doing this podcast. Yeah. I've had no problems whatsoever doing this because it's a one on one. Um, I know a little bit about you because you filled out my form. Um, yep. I mean, we've had a conversation before this, but you know, I've had people that I haven't. Um, I have a set of questions. And it kind of is naturally leading from there. To go mm. into a conference and sit next to someone and have small talk, no, just give me a glass and I'll go and stand in the corner. Oh, yeah. Someone else, someone else can do that. But if it's if it's someone I know, oh, I'm I'm out there. I'm yeah, and yeah. and I do. I have done very significant presentations in front. Of, I did one in front of about two and a half thousand people in the United States. I, I have no problem doing that. Today. In front of 170 people, mm-hmm. I got no problem standing in front of a room. Yep. Because I, I feel like I know my stuff. But then if you ask me to sort of mingle, and I, I feel really socially awkward doing that, and I feel like I'm so bad at that. I feel like everyone else is brilliant at it, <laughs> and I'm just not. I'm not That's so me. you. You might find me back in my room sending emails if I'm at a conference, but. Mm. Um, but but I like pe- I like I love being around people. I like people. I just feel like yeah. You know how I feel. It's hard to describe. I like people watching <laughs> yeah, rather than yeah. speaking to them. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone out there that's socially anxious, like you're not the only ones. No. Um, you'll find as well in tech, there's a lot of introverts in tech. Mm-hmm. In a lot of high-profile introverts, a lot of CEOs and CIOs that are mm. definitely very introverted. It's yeah. a thing. Well, I'm not saying that I'm that. I'm just saying we're not we're not the only ones. Yep. Mm. Anyway, that's my hard hitting questions. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> They're all right. They're fine. Good. Okay. That's awesome. We just have some quick shots and then we're done. Sure. All right. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Uh, like <laughs> big challenge going to the United States in particular. They do the whole glass pot, black coffee. Not my gig. I need barista coffee. I need a lot of it. I live on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a bean freak or anything like that. I just like really nice barista cafe coffee mm-hmm. and a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You ask my colleagues, I'm like irritating about <laughs> coffee. There's a great coffee shop in San Francisco at the Ferry Pier called the Blue Bottle. It's for any uh-huh. Aussies that love their coffee. That's where you go in San Francisco when you're in downtown. Where it's- is there in Vegas? Where can I get coffee in um, Vegas? There's an Illy Coffee in the Venetian. It's an Illy oh, Coffee stores. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's one of the only, yeah, it's in the Venetian down the bottom. You will find all the Brits, the Aussies and the Kiwis in that Illy Coffee. Nice, because that's where we're staying anyway. So yeah, that's what we drink. Perfect. 
Yep. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> it's the, it's in the shops that. right down the bottom floor, ground floor. I okay. know exactly where it is. Awesome. I'll be finding that. Cat or dog? I have a cat. Mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to dogs. Mm-hmm. Dogs require walking and picking mm-hmm. stuff up. Yes. I have a cat. She's beautiful. I don't know where she is, but, yeah, I, mm-hmm. yeah. her name's Margot. I, I like We've had cats, so. Yeah. Summer or winter? Can I go in between? Yeah, all right, go on. Yeah, I like spring. I, I used to, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in the sun and I've, you know, I'm pretty sun damaged and as a surveyor out banging 3B3s and in Braidwood, I'm pretty. We used, to, we used to lather up with coconut oil and lie on the beach yeah, all day. I know. I know. And now, like all surveyors of my generation, the generation before, I'm having mm, stuff burn off me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't got to that stage I can't stage deal yet. with hot weather at all. Mm. Sunrise or sunset? Oh. I love sunrises. Roller coasters, do you love or hate them? Oh, yeah, I I wouldn't go out of my way to jump on one, mm-hmm. but if I had to, like I'm not opposed to it, but it, yep. it's, it's not really my thing. As a 46-year-old yep. man, I'm not really into it. But, yeah, I, I don't. I've I, you be, As you get older, you become a bit more protective over yourself, and even though they're, like, pretty safe, there's always that little risk. And so if I don't have to get on one, I'm not getting on one. Three items you'd take to a desert island. Um, a hat. Mm-hmm. Start. You know those Leatherman knives? Yeah. They're like a Leatherman and they've got like a rule. They're like the Swiss, the modern Swiss army knife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can like start fires with It's like MacGyver, the knife MacGyver would have if he had yeah. a knife. Yep. I'd take one of those bad boys for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And a how to how to book for dummies, how to do anything, how to build a fire, how to build a tent, how to. There you go. Yeah, because you might need that stuff. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, or I ditch the book. I would actually take MacGyver <laughs> come with me, so he could make a bomb out of a shoelace and that kind of stuff. So that's yep. what I would do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Leatherman, MacGyver, and a hat. Cool. Favorite song or artist? Um, nineties band, probably no one's heard of it. Massive Attack. Massive Attack. Have you got a favorite mm. song? That that's the artist. Yeah, they're a band. They're a band. Bristol. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, um, well, there's a favorite album, Mezzanine, which came out in '94, I think. Never heard of it. '95. It's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really defined a trip hop generation of the '90s, um, and it spawned artists like Nene Cherry, um, okay. Everything But the Girl. If you remember that kind of. Genre. They are incredible. Okay. Um, there's a rumor. Do you guys know about Banksy? You know, this whole yeah, yeah. guy that no yep. one knows who it is. The rumor mill, if you believe the interwebs, is that one of the individuals that had a massive attack, a guy called Robert Del Nair, is Banksy. Oh. Everywhere where massive attack have played, uh-huh. there has uh-huh. been a Banksy. Interesting. There you go. Mm. Stupid knowledge that I have. <laughs> favorite movie blade runner the original 1984 director's cut mm-hmm. favorite book um oh, do robert do robots dream of electric sheep which was the book that then formed the movie oh, okay. blade runner okay. interesting by uh, william k by who william k dick i think the guy's name okay. is so yeah mm-hmm. great is book your- is your glass half full or half empty? Oh, 
it's I think it's half full. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. to be optimistic in everything that's going on. We are in a really lucky place here in Australia. We really are. Mm. You have to be optimistic about where we are. Yeah, there's some really bad stuff. There's some stuff that's going on that's not right. But if you look at other places around the world, we have to be optimistic as a nation. And that's where we've, we've come from, a nation of optimists. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm definitely an optimist. Okay. If you had a warning label, what would it be? Um leave alone in a, in a social setting <laughs> do not do not approach with a big buzzer like the, like you know the closer you get the louder the buzzer is who knows you best my wife mm-hmm. 22 years this year you've been married or together mm-hmm. married oh together 23 years yeah yeah nice congratulations yeah she she knows the inner dark, bright think, stuff. She uh, reads me like a book. She knows when something's not right. I think my husband's right. still trying to find me out <laughs> after. Oh, really? After twenty-seven years. <laughs> wow. She, she's very, very perceptive. She, mm-hmm. she got me well and truly. Cool. Very good. Uh, what was your favourite subject at school? PE with Mr. Tancred. I remembered his name. Mr. Tancred, I'm sure that was the guy. PE teacher at Shoalhaven High. We did golf and we had those plastic golf balls with the holes in them and we used to put electrical tape so they went further and he let (laughs) us do it. Man, it was awesome. It was awesome. And then I did rugby league and that was that was good too. Yeah, I just I loved it. I love being outside. I love remember Mr. Dieball? Yeah. Yeah. Oh god. So my year advisor was Mrs. Cleary. Oh, was it? Yeah. Zeta Cleary. <laughs> okay. She's an amazing lady. She loved everything about Egypt. She was like yes. oh, she was she was my and... she was my history, my ancient I'm pretty sure my yeah. ancient history. Ancient teacher. history, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And guess what we did for ancient history? What? Egypt. <laughs> it was a captive audience and a captive teacher. Yeah, it was like Oh wow. That is so back to like two hours. That is so weird. I know. I just cannot wrap my head around this. But yeah. I know. Weird and Um, dangerous, probably. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Oh, where am I up to? Um, Favorite food? Uh, I don't really have a favorite. I like spicy food. I've Mm -hmm. had a. I've had a fall in Birmingham, which is like the hottest curry you can get. Oh, God. That was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I've had food in Oslo. I've had gumbo in America. Mm-hmm. I, I love, I, I love, I've had chili crab in Singapore. Oh, yeah, I've had that. Oh, man. Like, I just love all, I love trying new stuff. I mean, the weirdest stuff is like Japan. You got to be careful with Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some there's some stuff that comes out because you, I don't speak great Japanese. I don't know what it is, and they're pretty reluctant telling me what it is. Mm-hmm. And some of it's fluorescent and blue and looks mm-hmm. like a fish. So I'll avoid that stuff. But yeah, generally I I, I eat anything. Mm-hmm. Favorite drink. This is going to make me sound bad. My my colleagues know my favorite drink. It's called a Tom Collins. Oh. <laughs> or or. Tanqueray, Ten and Tonic, or Hendrix and Tonic with cucumber only. I'm a gin person, so 
But, but what, my preference what is tonic. really male made. Uh, tonic, whatever the... Don't say tonic's tonic. tonic. Hmm? Yeah, I was going to say don't say like Schweppes tonic. Schweppes. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no, good. No, okay. okay no, that's all right. We're beyond that. Okay, beyond very good. That. Very good. That's that's all. Yeah, but if it's the best tonic that you have, um, yeah, there's a little bar in San Francisco that looks like a bar out of Boston and it's they do the best Tom Collinses in America, mm-hmm. I swear to you. With the glass A cherry and yeah, it's, yep. yeah, mm-hmm. that or an Arnold Palmer as well. You can, Arnold Palmer's nice, but okay. yeah, mostly gin, gin and tonics is like you've got me. Once you're there, it's like so. What tonics? Hendrix. Yeah, that's nice. What's the other one you said? Hendrix. Um, Tanqueray Ten and tonic. Oh, Tanqueray. Yeah, okay. Pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, win the lottery or have the perfect job? Isn't having the perfect job like winning the lottery? Not always. <laughs> Money can go real It's quick. like people saying that you, you know, if if you have the perfect job, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's I bullshit. Love, I'm oh, sorry. I've just won Powerball, but I'm going back to work tomorrow. No, you're not. Don't do that. <laughs> just won $45 million. You were not going back to work tomorrow. Right. You are calling in sick at least. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I, it's a, that's actually a really hard question <laughs> because money can, can sort of, you know, provide you the fact that you don't have to work. But I, I, I'm thinking the job. Yeah. I'm still thinking mm-hmm. the job. Yeah. Right. I'll go job. Okay. Yeah. Pet peeve. Pet peeve. People that don't look you in the eye when you're talking to them. Mm. Sort of off into space and not mm-hmm. focusing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just looking down. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just looking down at the moment reading my questions, okay? It's not no, it's that fine, I'm not- <laughs> When I'm having a conversation because I'm, you know, the whole conversation thing for me is be, the can contact, become need precious. To yes. I at least want them to give me some focus, but there's a lot of people that, and maybe that's their yeah. anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yep. That, 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 that irritates me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Our favorite sport? Golf has to be. Yep. Morning or night person? Night. I'm a night owl. Mm-hmm. Night owl. Don't do mornings real well. Yeah, me neither. Proudest moment. Children. Yeah. First child. We, yeah, big journey to have first child. Mm-hmm. Um, and every dad and mum will know that when that happens, it changes your life. Life changing. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you can't. And again, one of those things you can't describe. Mm. Dream car. I I owned a, one of my dream cars and unfortunately someone decided that they would want it more than me. Oh, no. So they decided they'd break into my house and steal the keys. <gasps> what was it? That car, it was a Mercedes AMG. Oh, what, a 63? It was a 63. <gasps> um, Devastating. That was a nice car. Um, look. Again, cars come and go. Uh, yes, they do. This is just, I just a dream. I get nervous as well. It's just a dream. Okay, dream just car. Just a dream. I, I, the original McLaren F1. Oh, that okay. car defined supercars that true, we have today. True. That car still is unbelievable. I think you can get one for about $30 million. <laughs> Rowan Atkinson's got one. Like it's a, they're, they're unbelievable. And, in fact, I had this amazing moment where – I did a keynote at Autodesk University in London mm-hmm. and one of the chief designers of that car 
spoke after me and in in the audition the day before i'm pretty calm about the whole thing but he was so nervous he he was like not in a good space and he came he was sort of stumbling he didn't know what he was saying he had this amazing presentation from mclaren so he came down and i said hey man are you all right like what yeah what all like all i said to him was pretend there's no one there sort of blur your eyes you know the content better than anyone else so i gave him all this great advice yep and they had a mclaren 650s there as you know showing everyone the car so next day i do the keynote he follow he does an amazing job he talks about mclaren's digital journey and and he has to move the car at the end of the day and he says hey i worked on the original now he worked on the original f1 with gordon murray he said would you like to sit in the car and i'll show i mean it, oh wow I mean, that's pretty awesome like <laughs> yeah like he, yeah such a lovely guy like he was brilliant and mm-hmm. Yeah, like I got to experience that. It was, uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. Mm, wow. Mm. Gosh. Our uh, favourite colour? Blue. I support Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> so it's white or blue, the mighty Tottenham Hotspur, the Spurs. <laughs> on, a, on a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? <laughs> I, I am a massive dag. I have just spent the last... Sorry, I hope DAG translates to your American and your <laughs> European. They're, they're only like 11%, 11% of the listeners, so all it's right. all good. <laughs> Aussies know what a DAG is. I mean, I, I've just spent the last two years at home dressing from the waist up. Um, I'm Haven't we all? Actually, I haven't got out of my pyjamas half the time. Oh, good enough to look like something that you can wear. I, I, I like to look presentable, but I'm kind of losing it with fashion. We we went through this whole period of suits and ties and now we're going mm. back to the 90s and everyone wants to look like vanilla ice again. <laughs> and I was like, I thought we left that in 92. Come on. Like, yeah, no. yeah. No. I'm, a, I'm not good with fashion <laughs> at all. Oh, geez. Apple or Android? Apple. I bought into that whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apple Plus, Drive. No hang, no, hang on a minute. Going back, you didn't give me a number. Between of one dagginess. and ten, of one and ten, oh, how cool are okay. you? I'll, I'll give you a four. Okay. I'll give you a four. Okay. I'm presentable, but I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> anything special. All right, and yes, I'm an I'm on that Apple train I too. Have... Lastly, what's your star sign? I'm a Pisces. Oh, are you? Hmm. Mm. Early February, late February. No, March. March, early March. The day before St. Patrick's Day. Mm. I don't know what that day is. Is that like the 4th so or something? St. Patrick's is the 17th 17th? and I'm the 6th. Oh, okay. Same birthday, I believe, as John Bon Jovi. So, like, there's that whole thing that we've got going on together, you know. Yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Morrison, I think, was. Yeah, I think he's around there as well. he He was mine. I think he was my birthday. Was he? I think I always used to love my birthday on a Friday because it meant that St. Patrick's Day was on a Saturday and everyone was like drinking the Guinness. Having a party so, for you. Having the big party. It's like happy birthday, yeah. Brett. The leprechaun. Yep. <laughs> oh, anyway, that's that's my questions. We're done. Amazing. Podcast finished. Amazing. You got it through. Yeah. I, you. You got me to go to places I didn't think that I should or would go. That's yeah, very, there you go. very good. I must be good at my job then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Well, that and we're from kind of the same town. Yeah, that's right. Well, Brett, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed it tonight. Peter, thank you for having me. Inspirational podcast. Um, I, I found your podcast about six or six or eight months ago and mm. I, I, I'm a podcast person on the plane. I listen to podcasts and, yeah, what you're doing with defining boundaries is um, pretty groundbreaking um, and delving deep into this profession, which is mm. amazing, and the diversity Mm-hmm. And the promotion of women in in the business and in the industry, it's amazing. Congratulations. And I feel humbled to be part of a small part of your, your podcast um, volumes. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Defining Boundaries. Stay tuned in a fortnight for another great guest. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.